I've never had a problem speaking. Now, as a child, speaking truth wasn't my strength, but generally for speaking and uh, maybe acting out, <laughs> I would receive high marks. Not all, not all positive marks, but maybe lots of marks. That, that might surprise you, or maybe not. But I could point you to my second grade teacher who could tell you all about it. Now, I might not recognize my second grade teacher because I spent most of the second grade, it seems, with my head and chair facing the cabinet and opening the doors and seeing the dark brown interior. <laughs> I think that was supposed to help me be quiet, but it surely didn't help my boredom. Um, I'm, a, I'm a verbal processor, which means I learn while I'm talking. Not that I was focused so much on learning uh, way back then. Uh, I was more likely spouting off and causing problems. But isn't it true that we need freedom of speech to work out the freedom of our thoughts? Does that make sense? We need freedom of speech to work out the freedom of our thoughts. And isn't it true that increasingly the freedom of thought and speech is being infringed upon as thought crimes and speech crimes are being prosecuted. And, and isn't it true that the crowd is often nodding along in approval of that prosecution? Uh, yeah, they shouldn't be able to think that. They shouldn't be able to say that. In, in our nation, the crowd who has the power, theoretically, gives up the power of free thought and speech and then can no longer speak truth to power. I realize that's, that's a lot to think about and, and maybe controversial. I, I don't know, but this is where I'd like us to focus and, and see if this makes sense. Don't, don't followers of Jesus have the truth for the world? They do, right? Or, or am, I, am I mistaken? In our Acts study, the book of Acts, our missionaries are in Philippi which is a highly patriotic colony of Rome, full of true believers that Caesar is Lord. And the first European church is being established with the declaration that Jesus is Lord. So who is it, Caesar or Jesus? Converts to Jesus have been made, households baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the public square of Philippi, demons have been sent packing and, and our missionaries are beaten and thrown in jail. Now God shakes the jail loose and the jailer hears the message about Jesus. And then, picking up in Acts 16, 34, Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But, but when it was day... The magistrates sent the police. The word is literally the ones who carry the rods <laughs> to beat. Uh, saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. So come on out and, and go in, in peace. Now the local magistrates probably realized they had no case against Paul and Silas and sent for their release. Maybe they knew about the earthquake or not. But Paul didn't initiate a jailbreak, remember? In fact, he had assured them that he was still in custody. I'm not a threat to the law. So we have this new development. 
the local magistrates are getting ready to release them on a warning. You know, hey, no, no more of that and get them out of town. Just, just move them along. The jailer's probably saying, hey, they want you to go, so uh, please go in peace and, and go. <laughs> go. What Paul said to them, check this out. He said, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, like no trial, right? Men who are Roman citizens, and they've thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. <laughs> Let them come themselves and take us out. Whoa. Now, we could talk for days about prison systems and jailers and threat of law and threat of force and how to keep people from doing the wrong things. And, and there's a lot to discover there and sit on. And maybe if you're discussing this sermon, you could, you could ch chat about those things. But I want to focus on this ace card that, that Paul plays. And he says, hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And, and Roman citizens had rights. And, and there was no way as a city official, a magistrate, you could violate the rights of a Roman citizen and stay in power. It just wasn't going to happen. Paul didn't need a lawyer to plead this case. They, they had actually, there'd already been very high profile trial of, of Gaius Verres, a magistrate of Sicily who set to rule and order it, and instead plundered the island province. Um, this is 100 years before. And then even crucified a Roman citizen who protested the whole time. But I'm a Roman, but I'm a Roman. He, he crucified this Roman citizen who had opposed his theft. He was just carting off um, all, all these uh, beautiful pieces of art and everything. Uh, but by, by the time that Paul and Silas had been here, it, it was established in Roman law and common knowledge. Roman citizens have rights. And now Paul and Silas have been shamed publicly as offenders without a trial. And now after the beatings and the shame, and after they send for his release, why now does he play the Roman citizen card? That's curious timing, don't you think? I might have played that card first. <laughs> it's possible that he was just tired of being beaten and abused. I would be. But I wonder if Paul was mainly motivated to care for this young church at Philippi. Because this, this first European church, Lydia's church, was at risk of being labeled as troublemakers, you know, opposed to the law, based on this public reputation of their founders, Paul and Silas, Timothy, Luke. Tom Wright notes this, that, that God had given Paul the extraordinary position of being a highly trained Pharisee. Remember, like all of the religious accolades there, he was at the top of his game there, and a Roman citizen. And had called him to do a job. Preach, Christ, crucified, risen, Lord of the world, to all nations. And Paul took for granted that the tools God had given him were tools he should use. Right? And so now Lydia and her church could, could use some encouragement and, and legal protection here. So he speaks up. The police reported these words to the magistrates. Hey, we're Roman citizens, we're condemned, uncondemned, and now you've thrown us in jail. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. 
So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to <laughs> leave the city. Could you, could you go now? We, we're in big trouble if you stay. <laughs> so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. I, I could just imagine they, they took their time being escorted out of town. Hey, can we stop and get some? Hey, I'd love to get a little, get some gyros there. Oh, oh, oh it would be awesome. And do you have gelato yet? Um, we're going to stop by Lydia's house. I hear she's got a lamb roast going. <laughs> she's invited us over to dinner. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke leave behind a city that's, let's say, stunned by the removal of the Spirit. You know, look in that back that passage there. Just an amazing story. And then, and they're blessed. The city is blessed by the conversion of Lydia, and the jailer, and their households, along with other Spirit-filled Jesus followers. But but Lydia's church is going to have a lot of opponents. Right, Because it's, it's difficult to declare that Jesus is Lord in an imperial outpost, a Roman colony committed to the belief that Caesar is Lord. So 10 years after this trip, um, after this establishment of the church, Paul wrote this from yet another prison in Philippians 1, 1 through 18. Can I just read that to you? Um, if you're reading along, I'm, I'm going to read in the ESV but um, I'm going to translate Christ Jesus as the king, because he's the royal Messiah, Jesus. And I just want you to think how this sounds in an imperial outpost. Paul and Timothy, servants of King Jesus, to all the saints in King Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and King Jesus the Lord. I thank my God in my remembrance of you, church in Philippi, Lydia's church, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus the King. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of King Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of King Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for the Messiah, the King. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more bold to speak without fear the word. Some indeed proclaim the king from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ, the king, Jesus, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, the king is being announced. And in that, 
I rejoice. You can hear his heart developed for this young church now 10 years later as he's in uh, house arrest uh, under imperial guard. What can we take away from this scene uh, as we kind of close this chapter where Paul and Silas have played the Roman citizen card after they've been unjustly beaten? <laughs> I think we can take away uh, at least one principle and, and an example to follow here. Uh, it would just be this. Speak truth to power. If, if you have rights in a given society, it's good to use them and to speak truth to power to protect the vulnerable and spread the gospel. And that's the principle I'm seeing, to protect the vulnerable and spread the gospel. It's not about your own personal rights. See, there's a tension here in Scripture and, and a need for spirit-filled wisdom as we declare our rights and express our freedoms. Right? I mentioned this freedom of speech, super important to us. Peter told the churches near here, just across the water in Asia, First uh, Peter 2, 13 through 17. He says, Be subject for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Ooh, do you sense the tension there? There's a tension there. Do, speak up. Truth to power. To defend the vulnerable and spread the gospel. Now, you know, not all churches in the world have rights in their society. For instance, in India, there's a nationalist Hindi movement supported from the highest ranks of government to stamp out the Christians. Blind eyes being turned as radical Hindus carry out violent acts on Christians to, to purify India and make it entirely Hindu. A, a VOM, a Voice of the Martyr field agent, um, reported this, the new laws have created a climate where Hindus feel the freedom to question anyone, go into any house or church accusing believers of forced conversions, or creating community disharmony because of their Christian activities. Hindu groups and individuals feel they have the liberty to police their village. That's, boy, we've had, we've had a history of that um, in our nation with other minority groups, haven't we? So what it means to follow Christ in India right now, um, Hindu nationalist informants live in every village, all, nearly every village, and report on the activities of Christians. And so then attacks and arrests are taking place. When Christians are attacked, they often drop the charges against their attackers to show forgiveness. Right? They're witnessing to Jesus by forgiving their attackers. Churches, though, have been demolished, burned, worship gatherings disrupted, crosses and graveyards have been vandalized, Bibles, Christian literature have been, been confiscated and burned, many pastors have been beaten and jailed, and several are martyred, killed for their faith each year. 
Christians are being arrested and held up for, for up to three weeks after being falsely accused of forcing Hindus to convert to Christianity, right? As if that's their task, what they're trying to do, forcing people. But with legal assistance, they're able to then post bail or show that the charges are unfounded. So there's some right in there after being abused. And Voice of the Martyrs is one of those agencies that's helping them fund that legal work in a quest for a just society, right? So some rights. <laughs> and how do you use those rights to protect the vulnerable but spread the gospel? Now, the, the next scene is in Acts chapter 17, and we'll just look at verse one through nine. Now, when Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica or Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Oh, okay. So Paul goes in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, this Messiah figure that they've been looking for, to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, is that one. And so here we see the pattern laid out for us. It's now Luke, in, the author of Acts, just gives us this pattern uh, off to the synagogue, right? Spent, he spent three weeks there of reasoning and explaining and proving that this long-awaited figure, the Messiah, needed to suffer and die and be raised, and then pointing to Jesus to be that Messiah. And as he does that, people respond, well, sometimes violently, and others with, with hearts open. Um, and then he starts a church with those who respond. And then, as we see, he writes a letter to them, or encourages them, or meets with them, or sends a worker there. It says... Continuing in Acts 17, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many, as did a great many of devout Greeks, and not just a few of the leading women. There's so many. But the Jews were jealous, right? So we have this faction of, of Jews. Not all of them because some believed, right? But others didn't. And so Paul and Silas have been preaching Christ crucified, buried, raised, ascended which is a stumbling block. Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. So some Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, right? Go around the marketplace. You don't look like you're doing anything. Wow, you're drunk. Hey, come, come with me. So that the pure Jewish people, the righteous people form a mob, set the city in an uproar, attack the house of Jason, who's now being introduced, possibly the the home where the Christians are now meeting, the ones that come, that come out of the synagogue. So they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, saying, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Why were they disturbed? Well, law and order, super important. Um, uh, the peace of Rome, you know, one Caesar, Caesar is Lord and no, no one else. And, and then we got this mob and I was supposed to keep order and so there's all sorts of things going on. They're disturbed when they had heard these things. 
And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So, like, they posted bond and said, okay, you're here, but we have money. You don't leave. We're going to figure this all out. Isn't it sad? I mean, we see it with this church here. We see it with the church in India. We see it with incidents in America as well, certainly in our past and, and sometimes still now. The, the, the minority group, this minority group is all that's wrong with the world. we got to get rid of them. Doesn't it have a ring to it? We all like someone to blame. It unites us. Ooh, if we just had a common enemy, even if it's a minority group, a vulnerable group. Oh, humans, God have mercy on us, right? But what's the claim? These people are turning the world upside down. They're, they're saying there's another king besides Caesar. It's Jesus. So here's a pesky pastor question for you, a PPQ. Has the message of King Jesus turned your world upside down? I guess the other option is, it's like, oh, no, it kind of makes sense, you know, and might as well. Uh, slots in perfectly with my with my ideas. Like, wow. Has has the message Jesus King Jesus turned your world upside down? And then another pesky question would be, does the way you speak of King Jesus turn others' worlds upside down? Or is it just kind of mellow? Real mellow. <laughs> well, you know Jesus. He's he's a good guy. He's a, He's all right. I mean, he's good. You might not like him, but I, I do. And, you know, preferences, right? Choices. John 18, 36 through 37, uh, puts us in, in Jesus' words here in trial uh, before Pilate, another governor who's trying to keep the crowd quiet and keep them appeased. Jesus answered Pilate before his crucifixion. He said, my kingdom is not from this world. Make sure you note that and maybe even change it if your translation doesn't say that. It, it, it's from, the, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth, to speak the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. <laughs> we talked about speaking truth to power. And if you are of truth, what do we do? We, the takeaway number two would be to speak truth of King Jesus. To just to say what it is, the truth of King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus' kingdom was not from this world, but it is certainly for this world. Let me say that again. Jesus' kingdom was not from this world, but it certainly is for this world. Jesus is a king, but his kingdom in our bodies and the terrain we touch his kingdom in our life together as followers, here in history, vastly exceeds the kingdoms of this world and is the only kingdom that will last forever. Jesus is the king. So here's a question. How does Christianity spread with this kind of opposition? We looked in Philippi, Thessalonica, and currently in, in India. How does it spread? Why does it spread? 
Uh, Tom Wright sets the stage for this question really well. He says this, Christianity summoned proud pagans to face torture and death out of loyalty to a Jewish villager who had been executed by Rome. Can I say that again? Christianity summoned proud pagans to face torture and death out of loyalty to a Jewish villager who had been executed by Rome. So again, how does this spread? Again, Tom says, Christianity advocated a love which cut across racial boundaries. It sternly forbade sexual immorality. The exposure of children, you, do you know what that is? That's, that's when you don't want a baby and so you just leave it out for the wild dogs to get. It's infanticide. The, the killing of unwanted babies. Christianity advocated a love which cut across racial boundaries. It sternly forbade sexual immorality, the exposure of children, and a great many other things which the pagan world took for granted. Choosing to become a Christian was not an easy or natural thing for the average pagan. A Jew who converted might well be regarded as a national traitor. All right, do you sense the tension here? This is an upside-down, world-changing event. So then why did early Christianity spread. And hear this, hear this well. It's the very thing that we're warned against in our society. And therefore, the very thing we're hesitant to say. You can't say that. You can't say, you can't say that. You can't say that. You don't have the freedom to say that. It's this. The truth about Jesus is truth for the whole world. It's true. Absolutely true. Christianity is what it is and spreads how it spreads when the message about King Jesus, the resurrected Lord of the world, is believed and proclaimed as the truth for all people. The missionary church is the church. A church that's not a missionary church is it the church. Okay, okay listen. Following Jesus is not a private practice. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going into private practice for myself. <laughs> um, it is not a private practice. A, a deeply spiritual truth for me. It is deeply personal for sure, but it is highly public. Read through this passage again. It is highly personal public. And so so the the PPQ again, right? Does the way you speak of King Jesus turn others' worlds upside down? Here's something you might say in conversation. That is that is kind and it's truthful. It's the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You know, friend, I, I hear the way you um you you look at the world and, and I, I sense that that you think the that we're all supposed to create our own way to truth. And if that, if that were true, it, it would make sense. You know, pick and choose a spirituality that, that works for you, if, if that was true. But what do you make of Jesus' claims to be the way and, and the truth and the life and that no one connects with God, the, the creator God, the Father, except through Jesus? What do you, what do you make of the claims of Jesus? Now, 
feel free to just pause this for a minute and, and ask these kind of questions again. Do you speak truth? Do you speak up for the vulnerable? And, and does the way you speak of King Jesus turn others' worlds upside down? And, and ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you what's the next thing he wants you to do about this. Then I would encourage you to reach out to me, talk this over with another person, and decide, yeah, I know I need to do this. And maybe I need to get some more training. I wonder if Pastor Aaron would help me with that. He would. <laughs> he, yeah, I would. I would love to do that. So take that moment. Ask the Spirit of God, what is the thing you want me to do? And then commit to following him.